Hey, Becca. Hey, Neil. How are you doing? I'm all right. Nice Pretty shirt. Nice. Oh, thank Flowery, you very much. summery. Yeah, it's boiling, so nice light summery shirt. Nice, incredibly plain white t-shirt. Yeah, this is what I, how I roll. Yeah, you're Always. <laughs> I'm really excited about this episode. You know which one it is. I do. It's the DNA travel episode. Oh, podcast excitement. Woo. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really excited. This is about DNA travel, this emerging trend. So you do an at-home DNA test. It tells you your ancestry, apparently. Uh-huh. And then you pick one or more places from your family tree from back in a few generations ago and you travel. And the idea is that this adds more depth to your travels and connection and meaning and you end up going on a journey to a new land and also to your true self. So yeah, I thought I'd take one of these tests myself and maybe see if it can deliver on these promises. They say that the best journeys show you something new, not only about the world, but about yourself. In recent years, more and more people are taking DNA tests and travelling to the homes of their ancestors. They might visit the country where their parents are born, meet up with newly discovered relatives halfway around the world, or jet off to somewhere they have a tiny genetic link to. The hope seems to be that basing your travels on your DNA results makes for more meaningful trips. Unsurprisingly, it's popular in countries which have experienced mass migrations or have large diaspora communities like the US. And it's big business. According to Visit Scotland, around a million people visit Scotland each year to get to know their ancestral home, generating around £730 million for the economy. But this sort of tourism is usually based on painstaking research into birth records and marriage certificates. Is DNA travel just a millennial-friendly update of the same thing? Or does it bring something new to the table? And if I were to get my DNA tested, would there be a new holiday destination waiting in my results? Got this little plastic container inside it with pictorial instructions, just in case I couldn't read. Very handy. Uh, No food or drink for 30 minutes. Oh, spit to fill line. Close funnel, detach funnel, screw on cap, seal in bag and ship box. Six steps and then uh, six weeks. I have to say, if this is gonna tell me something I don't know about myself, something hidden in my DNA. It, it's not a very auspicious start. It feels really weird to just spit into a tube up to a line. With a few globules of my saliva in the post to 23andMe, one of the DNA testing companies offering this service, there was nothing to do but wait. I was excited to see the results, but to be honest, there was a part of me that was a bit dubious. Are people really basing their next holiday on where their DNA told them their great-great-grandparents might have come from? Or is this the internet blowing something way out of proportion again? Oh, wow. (laughs) This is just... incredible. That's Manuel Maceo. 
So I guess I, I need to share this with you. <laughs> In 2017, the travel search engine Mamondo ran a competition to send someone around the world based on their DNA results. Manuel uploaded his reaction to YouTube and his emotional response won him the competition. He then travelled the world visiting all the places which showed up in his results. 54.7% East Asian and Native American. East Asian. 0.1% Yakut? I don't even know what Yakut means. I wanted to know how he found traveling. Hi, how are you doing? Based on his DNA. <laughs> I decided to first to go to Italy because that's where supposedly the family name Macchio comes from. I went to Bergamo, it's in the northern part, like close to, to Milano, looked for the family name, looked in the city and so on. Unfortunately, didn't find much more info than I knew. Then I sat down. I mean, obviously, my family couldn't even believe it as well. Me neither. But I sat down with them and I asked them, where would you like to go having this opportunity? So that's how I planned to go to Africa, Jordan, and obviously in Europe, like Italy, Portugal were like the main destinations. Using the DNA results to point him in the right direction, Manuel searched for records of his family following back paper trails to find evidence of his ancestors. But for many people, this just isn't an option. If your ancestors were uprooted by the slave trade, they may have been given new names and not allowed to continue their cultural practices, so you might not have much to go on when trying to find family records. In this case, taking a DNA test can be the only way to discover your heritage. But often the results can be more banal. You might have 0.5% of your DNA assigned to a part of the world where you don't know anyone. Surely travelling to those places is just like any other holiday. Actually, like, I would say even I felt more connected into places that I had very, very, very little percentage of DNA, like Australia or New Zealand. Would you, would you recommend this sort of DNA-based travel to people whose results are a little bit less varied and exciting than yours do you think there's still something to get from it for those people oh completely because obviously not everybody would get like dna from all over the world and that's fine i think this this is like a golden door that allows you to completely break your comfort zone Let's be honest, Manuel is having a lot of his travel paid for by Mamondo. He's going to be excited about it. I mean, I would be too. But it also sounds like he's a genuine advocate for this. He said it really helped him connect with his family. I remember when I was a kid, everybody was just like telling stories, you know, like in family reunions, like, ah, oh, when the great, great, great grandparents came from Europe in a ship to Mexico, for looking for adventure, so it was always some sort of like uh, fairy tale. And then from the side of my mom, a little bit more realistic. Her grandfather was Portuguese, Spanish, who was a sailor. You know, it's like just family stories that were told in family reunions. And as a kid, or even as an adult, it was just like, wow. It's not just that you kind of went on some nice holidays, but that your family are kind of connecting with new people and talking about it more. And that's really, yeah. 
That's really nice. I'll have to try and get my like very British family to kind of chat about our family a bit more. <laughs> Hello! Lovely to see you! I'm Carolyn and this is Mum or Nana. <laughs> or Naomi if you'd rather. I'm in the lucky position that my mum's mum, Nana, and my dad's mum, Nonna, are still going strong in their late 80s. I thought it would be a good idea for me to chat to you guys about like what we know about our family history already and like what places we feel connected to and things like that. So. Well, I'm Naomi Burrow. What's your relationship to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm your grandmum. <laughs> I was born in a farmhouse, as far as I know, in a little village called Cotley in Devon. My father, father and his grandfather had lived in the same farmhouse for, for centuries, I think. So we're definitely, yeah. definitely from Devon then. Definitely from Devon. <laughs> very, definitely from very Devon. Devonian. I think your life has been pretty scandalous, Mum. Do you think so? <laughs> Her childhood years really show the difference in life then and life now because mum was actually sent away at the age of what 10 to go and live with an aunt because her father had remarried and they'd had lots more children and so they couldn't look after all the children and mum was the one that got sent away and then she got brought back when she was old enough to be useful and look after the babies. My mother had died when I was 14 months old. So consequently, you know, I never knew what mother was in that sense of the word. My stepmother was years and years younger than my father. So consequently, well, you could call that almost a scandal because she came there to, to help to look after us. And um, I presume my father got in bed with her. So... <laughs> Could you tell us a bit about how you met Grandad and about where he came from? Um, well, I met him at a young farmers club dance, which I went to with another young man. <laughs> yeah, shock upon shock, yes. I think I might have been better off if I'd gone with him because he was a... <laughs> He was a farmer's son as well, obviously, so he would have inherited the farm anyway. Which, oh. when I married my husband, we only moved into a rented farm, so therefore, <laughs> if I'd married Roy, I should have been probably a little bit better off, but nevertheless. Hmm, interesting. So 0% Roy and no inherited farm. While researching DNA travel, I started to wonder how you might plan a trip when, by all accounts, the results can be, well, a, a little vague. So, I thought my results would probably wind up saying I was British and Italian. They aren't going to get any more specific than that. But then ultimately, what does that really mean? Nations are a pretty new phenomenon, and borders are basically just things that humans made up and keep changing. And as for being British, well, Britain's always been a mongrel nation, the Normans, the Saxons, the Celts, the Vikings, and that's before you even get to the, the Commonwealth and, and Europe and British imperialism. So what does a British result even mean? I was getting in a bit of a tangle, so I decided to get in touch with 23andMe for a bit of cold hard science and an insight into how it works on their end. Yeah, 
I know I'm in England, but it's actually sunny. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure how to deal with it. I'm not equipped for this. That's so funny. Is it? I, I, I've never been to England. Do you guys have seasons? I got talking to Juliana Sintron, a senior product specialist on the customer care team. So 23andMe was started in 2006. Um, we're a DNA testing service, so we provide you with ancestry reports and health reports. Um, we are about, you know, getting having access to your DNA, and then what you do with that is up to you. And I think that for different people, it means different things. Some people are interested in their ancestry. Other people are interested in their health. Um, but I think there's a cool opportunity here to educate people on what their ancestry means and inspire people to, to travel based on their DNA. So essentially, they look at people who know they've had several generations of ancestors from the same place, and they use them as a sample population for that region. If some of your DNA looks like some of their DNA, one of your ancestors is probably from there too. But there are way more samples of European ancestry than anything else. The more people do the tests, the more accurate the data should get. And most of these companies are investing in increasing their sample populations around the world. But for now, it's pretty frustrating if you're a non-white person trying to look into your ancestry this way. You know, Native American DNA, we're not able to tell you what tribe you're a part of because on a on a DNA level, like that there's no difference, right? You can be you can be considered Native American as a whole, but we can't break it down by whether, you know, you're Cherokee or Mayan or, you know, Incan from, you know, the South America. So there's no difference in terms of tribes and lineages. Same thing. Another complication is that your results of, could change um, over time. City, right? I didn't realize when starting the process that if I chose to link my results with my family, some of the details might get more accurate or change completely. So that's something to bear in mind if you are planning a trip based on your results. So when you link to a biological parent, um, your results go through something known as phasing. And basically your results, so the, the child's results, are calculated at the highest resolution possible because now we're able to compare you to someone who you inherited 50% of your DNA from. Uh, so linking with a sibling won't change your results, but linking with a parent will. Now that we have access to this information, you can now take this test and it adds a piece to the puzzle. Um, personally, my dad had always told me that we were... Um, that my great-great-grandmother was from Corsica. And I was like, you know, how do you know that? <laughs> um, and because we don't, you know, our family doesn't really keep, like, you know, super strict genealogical records. Um, and then I took 23andMe, and my test results came back uh, almost 10% Italian. And I identify as Hispanic. My mom's Colombian, my dad's Puerto Rican. And so to get that result confirmed, like, what my dad had said, you know, for so long... Inspired by Juliana's excitement about her Italian roots, I decided to find out more about my dad's family. All I can tell you, Becca, is that originally the Hallett family came from the Somerset area. I know a decent amount about the British side of dad's family because my auntie Margaret has done an impressive amount of genealogical digging already. Um, and they were, they were stonemasons. The Hallets were a family of stonemasons from Somerset who moved to London after the Great Fire of 1666. 
but one part of my genes which I know is not British comes from my dad's mum, or as we call her, Nonna. You remember everything. Well, it's not very... I mean, you know, it's quite a long time. I'm nearly 90, for God's sake. <laughs> well, if I start now, maybe in a week's time, I'll stop talking and I'll be dead by that time. <laughs> I actually was born on the 14th of January, but my father forgotten to go in the registry, my name. Because in Italy, the day you are born, you have to be registered. But he went there a week later, so I'm on the 20th of January, according to the law. We were a seventh generation of Neapolitan, because one of my mother, my mum's brother, was a carabiniere. And you have to have a seventh generation of that family that had no bad people or been in prison or had fine or anything. So we must have been a very honest family because he became a carabiniere and he became, um, they posted him with his wife and children to Sicily in Palermo where there was always lots of trouble with the mafia. And he is the one that used to tell us all the beautiful fairy stories. You buy him a, a litre of vino and he would sit there with all his grandchildren around him and he would tell us all the fairy stories. Now, where did he get from? I do not know. I went to be interviewed for this damn job and there was another Italian girl which could speak a little bit of English. And she took me in this room. There was a table and there was four sergeant warrant officer, which my husband was for warrant officer. He was sitting there. I walked in and she said, oh, this is the new girl. She's called Judita, and she's going to help me to look after you. And because I, my heart was beating like Billy, or because I'd never seen British people in my life, I didn't even know what they looked like. And uh, so I, I said, hello. <laughs> and then I went out. And my husband turned around to his friend and said, I'm going to marry her. They looked at him and said, don't be so stupid. She's only a kid and you're an old man. He said, I'm going to marry her. You see? And then he used to follow me at night time because I finished at half past five in the, in the evening. But he used to follow me to make sure that I didn't have an Italian boyfriend. By that time, my father just arrived from prisoner of war. And because he said, Leslie because she said to him that he wanted to marry me and my father said I have just come back from prisoner of war we haven't got no money we haven't got no money to give my daughter a trousseau he thought he said you can't marry my daughter and he was so upset when I went to work the next morning I said oh good morning my fiance you know because I said yes I did like him. I thought he was lovely. He said to me, he said, oh, I am not good enough for you. I do not what I can do about it. I said, what are you talking about? You are my fiancé. He said, your father said you couldn't mind. He said, he told you we haven't got any money to give me a trousseau. He said, I don't want your trousseau. I want to marry you. And that was it. I think I'm going to have my blood tested and then I'll let DNA, you know. DNA, DNA, DNA. Have your spit tested. 
whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. And then I'll tell you if I've got any more funny things in my blood. You can never <laughs> tell with my dad. Well, I think it would be quite interesting. It would yeah. be interesting to find out, yes. Because I can only tell you of my side of my family, the Jacob family, and the Montanini, which was my grandma. Now, she was the one that was... <laughs> I'm going to stop her now. Yeah. I loved talking to both Nana and Nonna about our family history, and there were definitely a couple of surprises there. But if I was planning a trip based on our conversations, it sounds like I'd have a pretty straightforward holiday. I'm already in London, the area where the Hallets were based for centuries. A train ride away is the West Country, where most of my family still lives, and then a quick trip to Naples and I'd have all my ancestry covered. But then... I got an email. Okay. Okay. Oh my god, okay. (laughs) I'm so European. I'm 99.9% European, 0.1% unassigned. So, 40% British and Irish. That makes sense. I'm expecting 50% British and Irish, really. No wait, 75%. So, when I saw the breakdown, I was kind of surprised. Yes, a hefty chunk of British, but only 11.6% Italian. And hang on, over 20% French and German. As far as we know, we have no links there. And then there were some wild cards too. 1.5% Scandinavian, 0.3% Ashkenazi Jewish, and 0.1% West African. Um, yeah, it just feels really weird. <laughs> really weird to see it all kind of written down in, in numbers. If I decided to travel based on my results, I'd spend twice as long in France and Germany, which I like but I don't feel any special connection to, as I would in Italy, which has always been a key part of my identity and where I know I still have family. While I was processing all of this, I asked my dad and my sister to get a DNA test too. When they got their results, we linked our accounts and, as Juliana had warned me, things had changed. When I, when I got the results in the first place, um, the Italian was only 11.6% and there was a lot more broadly Southern European. So since linking it with my dad, that seems to have moved over into like they're more sure that that's actually Italian now. Um, but when I first saw that, it kind of made me feel like maybe there's more grandpappy in me than I knew about, which was like a strangely nice feeling. Like on the one hand, I was disappointed because the Italian part of my identity has always been really important to me. But then it was kind of like, you know, I never got to meet my grandpappy. So seeing all of these other numbers come up and all these other populations come up, I don't know, it kind of made me feel close to him, which is nice. It's a cliche to say that my generation is obsessed with identity. We're redefining everything, gender, sexuality, race, class. But investigating this idea of DNA travel has shown me that really we've always been interested in the question of who we are. Now we just have different tools to find the answers. But ultimately, the results you get from a DNA test, they're just numbers on a page. They have no meaning without context. For me, they were just a starting point, not an end point. And in many ways, I found the process much more interesting than the results. 
It made me reevaluate why I love travel and why it's so important. It's a powerful way of learning about yourself and connecting with the world beyond what you normally experience. So, I would not suggest taking a DNA test purely for the purposes of planning a holiday. But I do think that DNA travel has its place. It can be incredibly powerful for some people and just, you know, fun. For me, the best part of this whole experience was that it led to conversations with my family and my friends about places which were special to us. I am the product of romances that never were, sorry Roy, of rocky mountain passes, of travelling stonemasons and migrations triggered by world wars and Devonshire farmers' dances. And all of that combined with my results might take me on some interesting trips in future. I mean, come on, Naples is the home of pizza, so I'm definitely going. Wouldn't you? This episode was a true labour of love for me, so thank you, grazie, merci, danke, toda, and cheers, my dears, to the ever-lovely Neil, producer extraordinaire Alana Chance of Reduced Listening, vital assistant producer Femi Oriogan-Williams, and MD Agnieszka. Thank you also to Eva, Christine, and Juliana at 23andMe, to Manuel for sharing his story, and to my sister, dad, mum, auntie, nana, and nonna, for not only putting up with me for years now, but also answering some very personal questions. And, of course, thank you to you. Next episode, we'll be looking at identity in a different realm with a Native American Mardi Gras group in New Orleans. If you would like to win a free rough guide of your choice, All you need to do is go to iTunes by September the 6th, 2018, and leave us a review. That's literally all you have to do. We'll read out um, some of our favourites, perhaps, and we'll announce the winners in the final episode of the season, which will be out on September the 10th. So yeah, leave us a review, and you might win a free guidebook.